This is tape number seven of Dr. Joel Hunter's series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. The subject of his seventh message is Faith when Concerned About Others, Part Two. And from the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is found in Genesis chapter 22, verses 8 through 18. And it reads as follows And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there, and arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad, and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And now let's join in for praise and worship, followed by Dr. Joel Hunter's message, Faith When Concerned About Others, Part 2. Message number seven of the series, Faith from Heaven to Earth. You may be seated. Well, most of you who are parents can remember the day you named your children. And with that name came a great deal of significance as to who that young person was and what your hopes for them were. Outside of that, we have very little importance that we give to names in our culture. But in the Bible, the names of individuals had great meaning, great importance. And particularly, the names of God in Scripture have great relevance to us in our understanding of who God is, what His nature is, what His attributes are. And they lead us to a place of being able to worship God in a deeper and more intimate way than we could if we didn't know or understand all of His names. You probably remember the story of Moses. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses was, uh, when God spoke to Moses out of a burning bush and gave him a mission to go and tell Pharaoh that his people were going to be released from captivity. And Moses was much afraid in going to face Pharaoh and his, his entourage. And, God, and he said, Who shall I say has sent me? And God said, I am. And just in the power of that name, I am, the all-sufficient one, that would be enough to speak to Pharaoh. The story continues throughout the Bible of how God revealed His power and His authority through His name. Jesus Himself represented that power and authority. If you remember the story in John, as John tells it in chapter 8, when the detachment of soldiers, we don't know exactly how many that was, but between 20 and 200 heavily armed soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the garden. And as they approached Him, Jesus said, Who is it that you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And He turned and said simply, I am. And one moment those soldiers were facing Him, the next moment they were in the dirt. 
Their faces were in the dirt in front of Him again by the sheer force and power of the name I Am. To be sure, those soldiers did not arrest Jesus that night. Jesus submitted Himself to that arrest and to what was to follow. But the point here is that the name of Jesus, the name of God, carries with it great power and authority. We want to focus on that this morning in our worship time. It should be amazing to us that the name of Jesus, which as Paul tells us in Philippians 1, will one day stun the entire universe into submission, is a name on which we can call and speak any time we want to. And so this morning we call on God through the name of Jesus, recognizing that He alone contains power, provision, and authority. Would you pray with me now as I pray these words from the Book of Common Prayer as we're introduced to the service. And following this, you will see the names, some of the names of God on the screen as Teresa calls us into worship the name of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of Your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love You and worthily magnify Your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. I will exalt thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name for ever and ever. Every day I will bless thee, and I will praise thy name for ever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Well, if you have your scriptures with you, would you turn to the 22nd chapter of Genesis? And I will complete this Sunday, the sermon that I began last Sunday, really the sermon that I began quite a few weeks ago. And I will show you, this in this story, something you may not have seen before. That this is not just a story about Abraham and Isaac. That in its central part, and in its intention, it is a story about Abraham, Isaac, and Jesus. Because you see... All history is about Christ. God did not give us history to watch the development of man. God gave us history to reveal his story. God gave us history to identify him interwoven within those events. It says as much in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16, and the verses that that uh, follow after. It says, By him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, 
All things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, that he himself might come to have first place in everything, to reconcile all things to himself. History is about Jesus. And until we see Jesus in history, we will never understand it fully. Let me read to you the opening verses of this story and just point out to you in every one of these verses how they have some relationship to the life of Christ. First of all, the first verse, I just want to get the perspective in order here. God tested Abraham. Now, God had the answer for his test from the very beginning. When you're looking around, walking along, and you're getting into a fix, and you're asking for help, it looks like you're testing God. No, it's just the opposite. God, has, God does not sit in heaven, bite his fingernails, wondering how this whole thing's going to come out. God knows the answer from the beginning. This is a test for us. It looked as if Jesus was on trial that day before Pilate. No, Pilate was on trial that day before Jesus. We must understand that. We are going through the test. And God has the answer. Now look at verse 2. He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love. God would be doing that thing with his son, his only son, whom he loved, sacrificing him for us. Where? Take him and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Would you like to guess where Calvary was? Calvary was on Mount Moriah. Look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. Remember how many men were crucified with Jesus? Two men, one on his right and one on his left. Look at verse 4, the next verse. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes. Remember what happened the third day after the crucifixion. On the third day, he rose again. Look at the next verse. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder, and we will worship and return to you. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane to those who had come to pray with him? He said, Stay here. And I will go be with my father. Look at the next verse. It says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. Do you remember what Jesus had to do with the wood upon which he would be sacrificed? It was laid upon him. He had to carry the wood. Look at the next verse. And Isaac spoke to Abraham and his father father and said, My father. Do you remember what Jesus said from the cross? What he cried out? Father, my father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Look at the next verse. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Do you remember what John said the first time he ever saw Jesus? He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look at the next verse. And they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac 
and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham was over a hundred years old by this time. Isaac was probably around 25 years old at this time. How could a hundred-year-old man bind a 25-year-old man on an altar? He couldn't. Unless that son laid his life down of his own accord. What did Jesus say? No man takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Do you see how every verse in this story points to Christ? I want to tell you something. And I'll spend all next year explaining this to us. Every verse of history points to Christ. We may not see it now, but someday we will see it. Every verse of history has been arranged to reveal Jesus Christ. It doesn't look that way. You know, I heard a story once, true story, about uh, Wellington, the English uh, general, when he, he, he went to, to meet uh, Napoleon at Waterloo. Actually, Wellington started out in a defensive battle. Napoleon was charging him. All of England that day, Wellington was a general from England, all of England that day knew that that battle would happen that day. All of England was waiting for the results of that battle. There was a ship that was supposed to relay to England by, by way of someone standing in the top spiral of Winchester Cathedral the message of the results of that battle. When the battle was done, the signalman on the ship began to, to cast the signals to that man standing in the tower. And he got out the word Wellington. The next word was defeated. And at that moment, there, there rolled in a fog. The fog crept in, as Sandberg would say, on little cat's feet. But it was thick fog. And for those hours, all of England mourned the defeat of Wellington. But then the fog lifted, and the signalman continued his message. Wellington defeated Napoleon. And all of, all of England celebrated. I want to tell you that when you, when you look out in society today, in the development of the culture, in the, in the, in the replacement of... of uh, all of the attention toward God with the development of the sciences and so on and so forth, you could read the culture as saying, God obliterated. But I want to tell you one day, when the fog lifts, you will read, God obliterated everything that didn't worship Jesus Christ. This history has been put together to tell the story of Jesus. Everything anticipates him or looks back to him. He is the central figure in history. Why? Because God wants us to know him personally. Because in him is our provision. How does God get our attention so that we will look for him? Unfortunately, we are wired so that the most Intense our attention gets, and the most fixed our attention gets, 
is usually through some extremity of trouble or fear. Why would God put a hundred-year-old man and his son, who was to be the spiritual leader of Israel, through such a frightful experience? Read with me the rest of the story. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God. Literally, the Hebrew is, You are a fearer of God. That is your fixed identity. You are a fearer of God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, watch this, from me. This was a personal transaction. Fear does one of two things to our eyes. It closes them or it opens them. When you're scared, you either go like this or you go like this. And that's exactly how most of us look for God with the most intensity when we are in trouble or when we have the greatest need. We will look to Him in that need for the answer to that need. Look at what happened with Abraham. Look at the next verse. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked. What have I been telling you for a month? That, 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 that faith is a matter of, of hopless eyes, of wide eyes of seeing the whole picture. Abraham raised his eyes, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. I want to tell you this morning that God already has made your provision. It's already there. Your provision has been made by Jesus Christ. Look at what it says. It says, Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, literally, Jehovah Jireh. And it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord. Now remember what the mount of the Lord is. It's the temple mount. It's Calvary. In the mount of the Lord, it will be provided, literally in Hebrew, it is, it will be seen. It does not stretch that translation too far to say... You can see your provision that has already been made at Calvary. That's, that's where that leads you. Again, it is wise to fear the right things because it will open your eyes in the right way. I get afraid for people who don't fear anything, who depend on their own resources, who are not afraid enough to turn to God. I, I really get afraid for them. It, it, it's, it's good to have, you know, the, the, the Bible says, uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Sometimes just fear of the right thing is the beginning of wisdom. We were at the gym the other day. I, uh, we, we belong to a gym together. Our family, we, most days we try to go together. So here we're at the gym, and I'm doing something on this dumb step machine. I hate these things. And uh, my 14-year-old, my youngest, came over, Joel, and he said, oh, man. You wouldn't believe what just happened to me. Just ash and white. I said, what? Now I want to describe to you this gym. There are some huge people in this gym. I mean big people. 
the women there have more muscles than I do. It's very intimidating. Very intimidating. So you can imagine what the men look like. So, so he, he goes back and he says, well, I was walking along, you know, just kind of looking around, looking in the mirror, and, you know, and I stepped in something, you know, kind of soft, but you don't notice it right away, you know. And, and he said, and I was walking so fast, I started dragging this thing with me, and I heard this voice, hey, what's the bag? And he said, I turned around to see the biggest guy I've ever seen in my life. And he, and he, pointed, he pointed him out to me later, and, and, and really the guy has shoulders about the size of my car. It, he's just huge. Now, so I said, well, what did you say? I mean, you still kind of, you know. I said, what did you say? Now, before I tell you what he said, I want to tell you what would really make me afraid for my son. What would make me afraid for my son is if if he came and popped off like a typical 14-year-old and say, well, watch where you put your bag. Don't be getting it in my way. You know, that would make me really afraid for my son. (laughs) If I could find him after that. But he didn't. He was very smart. I said, what did you say? He said, I said, oh, sorry, coordination problem. I've never been to, you know. <laughs> very smart, see? And I did the Don Knox thing, you know. Very smart. That's smart. You know, it, it, it makes me afraid for you when you're not afraid of God. It, it makes me afraid when, when if, you're, if you're non-Christian and you're sinning right in the face of God and you think it's smart. And, and you're headed toward hell. It makes me afraid if you are Christian, and you're and you're rubbing it. And you know, I'm going to do this anyhow. That really makes me afraid. It's not smart. It's just not smart. Will not God chastise those who He loves? You're headed for trouble if you haven't found it already. God will punish you either with pain or with emptiness, one of the two. But He's not going to let it go. It makes me afraid that you're not afraid. Don't do that. Don't do that. No, be afraid of the right things in the right way. You know why? Because when you fear wisely, God opens your eyes toward what he will provide. What you can't provide for yourself. What only God can provide. You see, Abraham couldn't give God an offering good enough for God. Jews tried that for thousands of years, and none of them measured up. They had to give them three a day, and they still didn't measure up. They still didn't outpace their sin. God had to provide his own offering. And it is that way to today. Only God can give a worthy offering, an offering worthy of God. And that's exactly what he did that day. So, it's important that we not only look to God for his provision. But we come to Him through the provision we need. Don't just concentrate on the provision. God's not some cosmic vending machine that if you, if you put the right stuff in, if you pray long enough or hold your nose just right or you're good enough or long enough, you know, He's going to give you what you ordered. He's not a vending machine. God's a person. And God wants a relationship. He doesn't just want to give you stuff. He wants to love you. And he wants you to know how much he loves you. And he wants you to call for him on a regular basis, not when you've gotten in trouble, but from the very beginning when it looks like you're going to get in trouble. I heard a story once about a a, a gal who had gotten a job in a factory. This is back at the turn of the century. And they had these 
big looms, you know, weaving uh, uh, carpets or tapestries or whatever. And uh, she was a good steamstress. She was a very good sewer. And so she got, this was kind of a natural second nature to her. And uh, so she got this thing, and, and there was a sign on the machine. If the threads begin to tangle, call for the foreman. Well, sure enough, uh, she, she was on there for a while, and the threads began to tangle. She stopped the machine. Now, she's a seamstress, so she just figured she can do this deal. And, and the more she worked on it, the more tangled they got. You, know, you guys know this from a fishing. From fishing. You know, you, get to, you do this, and it's a bird's nest. And you start going like this, and it just gets worse and worse, and you, you, you got it all, you know, and you just get, you know. Well, she did that. Called for the foreman. Foreman came over. Took one look. Looked at her and said, you tried to do this yourself, didn't you? She said, yeah, I did. Why? She said, I, I don't know. I, I, I just did my best. He looked at her and he said, remember this. Your best is to call for me. Would you remember that? Your best is to call for God right away. The reason that we go through the extremity that we do is because that's God's opportunity to call for him right away. Whether you be Abraham seeing someone you love get in trouble or you be Isaac on the altar going, how in the world did I get in this spot? To open your eyes for the provision of God that has already been made. And watch this. That ram was caught in that thicket, wasn't he? You think that ram was going anywhere until Abraham spotted him? He wasn't going anywhere. Some of you are under this tremendous timeline. If I don't get an answer pretty soon, I might miss God's answer. No, his answer is caught in a thicket. It'll wait for you. It's not going anywhere until you spot it, until you open your eyes. So take the pressure off, you know. Open your eyes to what God has already done in Jesus Christ and realize this it's not about the provision he has for you it's about forming a relationship with Jesus himself you realize that every name of Christ in the Bible except for I am is a name that hints at what he could provide for you but yet that provision is just an avenue to love Otherwise, you have this secondary results-oriented religion. And that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is Christ. That's what Christianity is. So many of us know enough about God to get saved, but we never go on from there. We never go on except to look for Him to come and rescue us from from the messes we've got ourselves into. Well, that's not a bad thing, but it's not a necessary thing. Why not go to Him first? Directly. Why not, when you begin to need counsel, to go to the counselor? Now, please, I I think Christian counseling is wonderful. And I think it can be very helpful. And some of the diagnoses, diagnoses, whatever those things are, can help you see some of the patterns in your life. But I hope you will never be satisfied with that. I hope you would never be satisfied with a Christian counselor instead of the counselor, Christ. Some of us 
have this thing where we just, you know, we feel like our lives are coming apart and, and, and we're kind of like sheep. sheep. You know, sheep don't run off. They nibble themselves lost. They go from one tuft to another tuft, never looking up. See, they just see the grass in front of them. And then one day they look up and, where am I? You know? Some, some of us, many of us have done the same thing. We've nibbled ourselves lost. You know? And we get out going, what am I doing here? I hope that yes, you will come back to, to church. I mean, people come back and say, man, I can get my priorities straight. I can get my life turned around. I know better than this. But I hope you will never be satisfied just being a part of the sheep until you get to know the shepherd and you hear his voice directly. Not just for the straightening out of your life, but for the love that he gives you and the care that he wants you to have and the personal relationship. Some of you say, man, nothing's working for me right now. I just need to quit and start all over again. And one after another of the friends that you have, you've seen them leave everything. Everything they've they've taken years to build. And they've just given up and they've walked away. Instead of going to him, who is the resurrection and the life, who starts you all over again. Him, Him in whom everyone is a new creation. Absolutely brand new. That's the way to start over again. You want to start over again? Start over again with Jesus. Let me tell you one more story and then I'll quit. I read a story one time about uh, back in the riverboat days, um, those paddle boats, they advertised for someone who was so familiar with the Mississippi River, wanted to become a, a, a riverboat captain. So they had one applicant after another. This young man comes in, and uh, he, he looks way too young to, to be a riverboat captain, but they started questioning how long you lived on the river all my life, how many times you've been up and down, thousands. They said, do you know where all the rocks are, where all the shoals are, the, or the uh, uh, reefs? Do you know where all the snags are? Do you know where all the danger spots are? He looked at him and he said, No, but I know where they aren't. And that's where I'm going to steer. That's, that's the place we ought to go. That's the person we need to be with. Instead of trying to concentrate on everything we need to get ourselves out of, we need to be with him who guides us through all those things because he knows where they aren't. And while we're making that journey, the greatest part of it is not keeping out of trouble. It's learning what real love is with a personal God. Pray with me. God, thank you for your name. Thank you that you would reveal who you are so that we could love you personally. Thank you, Lord God, that you allow us to get into a situation where we are so torn and so fearful that we will actually open our eyes to you in a specific way, hoping, Lord God, that you will come and rescue us. God, help us to get them open wide enough to know that you have already rescued us in Jesus Christ. You have already made the provision in Jesus Christ. Our provision is there waiting for us in Jesus Christ. But help us not to look for the provision, but to look for Christ. Not to love our rescue, but to love our rescuer. We pray this 
in his name. Amen.